Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. It's a good morning because God is the world. I'm alive. You're alive. You're listening in. But for so many, is it really a good morning? I've been away, friends. Those of you who are regular listeners to the show know that I've been away. Um, I left Israel. I left Israel before the holiday of Sukkot, and I just arrived only a day or two ago. In fact, I must have been away for a month. Today, even as I'm recording this show, we're recording it live. It's Thursday morning, October 19th, 2023. And I say this because it's my fervent hope that you will share this program with others when it is available on our holy site, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, in podcast form, and you will share it. But let them know that everything coming out of my mouth, my heart, is coming out on Thursday morning, October 19th, 2023. With us this morning, we have so many holy friends from around the world. The list, the list of those who are listening in, who are sharing our pain, sharing our plight, achingly, defiantly, passionately, spreading their hands across the heavens. We have listeners from the United States. Canada is with us this morning. Australia. The United Kingdom is listening in. Brazil is with us. Mexico. Switzerland, Ireland, Japan, Sweden, Indonesia. I'm asked, high school friends, college friends, friends I've met over the years, how you doing, Andrea? Are you okay? I've yet to meet anyone in our little sliver of this heavenly earth called Eretz Israel, who is okay. And we're the lucky ones, the ones who are here to answer that question. There are so many that are very, very not okay. Where was I? Question really is, where wasn't I? I learned a lot about the halacha while I was gone, and it wasn't because I was sitting in a women's seminary or yeshiva. I was in America. I left before Sukkot. And I do assure you, my friends, that I prepared a show for that first Thursday morning I was away. But you know what? I called the powers that be at the station. I said, I'm really too tired. I'm too jet lagged. It'll have to be on Wednesday night at midnight. I don't know what my condition will be. I said, I'll do the show next week. And the next week was Erev, Simchat Torah, and Shmini Atzeret. And the fact was, I had driven. I had taken a 30-hour a whirlwind trip from Maryland to Long Island, New York, and back to Maryland. And I just didn't feel that I was in condition. I said, don't worry. We always have next week. So that was one show and two shows. And then I said to the powers that be 
at HolyIsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I will do a show, no promise, next week. But we all know what the week after Simchat Torah was. On that Sabbath, the Sabbath, I didn't go to shul. It's weird in America for me because I only celebrate the one day, the one day that we celebrate in Eretz Israel, And in America, they celebrate the two days. And I was home. I was in my visiting, my mishpacha, the family's house with my elderly mother. But I had a question. I had a shayla, a question for the rabbi which is what Jews do when we have a question. And it had to do with medication. It had to do with my celebrating the second day. And could I actually drive on the second day of the American Chag when it wasn't Chag for me to get my missing medicine for my mother? It seems like a lifetime ago. And when I went to the shul, to the synagogue, it was after the Torah reading that I arrived. I was there for the Musaf service. So I davened, I prayed. And then later I went to the rabbi and I asked him my question and my brother introduced me. And my brother, who's a very, let's not not use the word task turn, let's use the word a reserved individual. I could hear a tension in his voice as he said, Rabbi, this is my sister, Andrea Simento from Eretz Yisrael. And the rabbi smiled at me, and he said to me, when did you get to shul? And I smiled, and I said, I just got here. So here's my shayla, rabbi. Here's my question. And the rabbi answered my question, and I went on my merry way. And somebody else greeted me and said, oh, you're from Israel. When did you get to shul? And I said, oh, I just got here. And said, ah, I have mishpacha, I have family living near you. And we chatted a bit, and I went on my merry way. And here's where the issue of the halacha comes in. A woman came running to me, running to me, and grabbed me by both arms and said, I know everything that's going on in Israel and you must be tortured and you must be terrified. And I know you have a son in the army, but it's our job to be happy today. It's our job to have simcha. So put aside any of your fears and have simcha today. And suddenly I understood the fascination about when did you get to shul? Because I didn't know. I hadn't heard. I should have known that all American synagogues have one or two security guards or police cars in front. And it was a security guard who told the rabbi that morning that something heinous was unfolding in Israel. And he did tell the kahila, tell the congregation. And everyone prayed with additional further, but I hadn't known. And there is a halacha, a Jewish law. We do not race. We do not trip over one another to tell each other bad news. Oh, I see Cyprus has joined us. Ghana has joined us. Nigeria has joined us. Couldn't remember what the Parsha was. Germany has joined us. And then I knew. I knew I had a flight the morning after the holidays. And I knew that I would get on that flight and come back home. And there were those who well-meaning as they were, said, maybe you should stay. Stay? Uh, This is where I have to be very, very careful. Because there are those who did stay. 
Even as this show is unfolding, there are those who are clamoring and racing to get to Ben Gurion Airport and are leaving. Stay. Stay in Galut. When my home is in Eretz Israel, when my son is at the Gaza border waiting for instructions to enter, stay in Eretz Israel, while my husband was here and unable to drive the roads, and my children in various communities throughout Eretz Israel with their children hunkering in bomb shelters. I'm a Jew. I am Israeli. My fate lies today, tomorrow, and forever with, yes, the Jewish people, but certainly Am Yisrael Be'eretz Yisrael. So that would be the end of the story. I came home. I hopped on my, I don't even know, I came to America on a cheapo flight via Air France, and I was going back through a discounted Italian airline to Rome, and from Rome it would take me back to Tel Aviv. It's not what happened. I flew to Rome. And when I got there, my plane to Tel Aviv was canceled. I became panicky. I didn't know what to do. I went to the ticket counters. They told me it would be delayed. I would go at 9.30 that night. And instead of arriving one time, I would arrive another. I alerted my husband. Let it suffice, I ended up in Istanbul, Turkey. It seemed like forever I was in Istanbul, searching, listening, listening for any sounds of Hebrew, anybody with whom I could tie my fate. I was a stranger there, and they delayed my flight one time to Tel Aviv, two times to Tel Aviv, as I was now switched to Turkish air. Finally, I was put up for a night in a beautiful, magnificent five-star hotel. <laughs> Free dinners that I couldn't eat. Saunas, towels. All the time. All the time. Glued to the stories of the horrors that were unfolding in my country. The brutality, the butchery, the savagery. wearing my fluffy Crown Plaza slippers. Slept for the two and a half hours that I was permitted, only to take the shuttle back to the airport to finally get back to Israel. And I got to the airport and the flight was canceled. I cannot tell you what day this is, but I can tell you what I was wearing. It was the same clothing I had been wearing when I left New York one day, two days, four days earlier. And at the ticket counter, they said, no, 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 we'll give you a full refund. And I said, but I need someone to advise me. Where will I go? How can I get home? Do you speak English? And each answer was, yes, yes, we speak English. How can I get home? Who can advise me? Yes, you can. And so I flew back to Rome because a very cheery, very chipper agent, air agent, I don't know how I got to her, how she found me. Her name was Grace. <laughs> Irony, Grace. She said, no, no, no. You'll fly back to Rome. And from Rome, we can get you on a flight to Royal Air Morocco to Casablanca. All the flights from Casablanca are landing perfectly perfect history throughout this conflagration. They will land you in Tel Aviv. 
I also downloaded a website. You should know. Here's the humor portion of the show, the whole humor portion, beginning, middle, and end. There is a website called sleepinginairports.com. I joined. I'm an aficionado. I found a corner of the airport where I was able to nap a little bit, lying on my duffel bag with my head on my suitcase trolley. And then when I couldn't stand up from the pain in my back, knowing that my flight wasn't going to be for another 40 hours, I found a little travel agency in a corner of the airport who put me up in a one room. It was a bed and a desk. They told me it cost 130. Ask me 130 what? 130 lira, 130 euro, 130 male sheep. I do not know. They drove me for 40 minutes to the outskirts of Vatican City where I lie down in this bed for a bit. I found a bottle of soda. I was so sick of eating raw cashews and airport fruit salad. I thought I would go mad. But I was grateful for the laws of kashrut. It's not so hard. Nothing is hard when you are alive. Nothing is hard when you have your credit card and your husband's credit cards. Nothing's hard. And then I learned that my flight from Morocco to Tel Aviv was canceled. And Grace found me again. And she was trying to help me and said, listen, I can get you on a flight. I can get you on a flight from Rome to Tel Aviv directly on El Al the next morning. But, and as I was on the line, she came back and said, no, you missed that flight. I sold the last seat. But there's one in the late afternoon, and I did not know what to do. And I called my husband, and he said, get out of Europe. Get back to America. And I went back to sleep, and I shut the phone And on a miraculous trip to the bathroom, I noticed the phone was lighting up. And it was Grace asking me to commit for that trip from Rome to Tel Aviv. And I couldn't think, and I was tired, and I was hungry, and I was scared, and I was so alone. And I felt old. And I went, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. And I said, no, I'm going back to America. And sure enough, when I got to the airport in Rome the next morning, I saw those two promised flights from Tel Aviv on the board. I still hadn't spoken to another human being other than a man who sold me a can of beans in a little Roman grocery store and a bottle of seltzer. I hadn't spoken to another human being when I watched the board, the flight board, and I saw next to those two Tel Aviv flights, first the words delayed came up, then canceled, and once again, like so many other times, they disappeared. And I knew I was doing the right thing. And after Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, into my fifth day, I boarded a plane. I don't know what airline. It might have been that Italian airline. And I flew to America, where on Thursday night, a holy niece married to my nephew met me, didn't make me stand outside the airport, but came in and was standing there with a bottle of water. And I fell into her arms and I cried for the first time and I spoke for the first time. 
And on the way back to my mother's senior residence, we stopped where I could buy some bags of pre-washed kosher lettuce and a kosher chicken. And my brother met me there and took me out for some real food. And then I spent the Sabbath in America again, thinking I'm further away, further away from my beloved Israel than ever. But I wasn't. And I spent the Sabbath. But before I lit candles, I was besieged by a litany of bad news and worse news and more horrific news and more terrible news. And I turned to my mother and I said to her, Mom, I can't be alone tomorrow. I cannot be alone in this room tomorrow. I must be with people. And so I will go to synagogue tomorrow. I had heard of a little Orthodox shul in Rockville, not far from my mother's senior residence. And I had the walking directions. And I said, I will go to this shul tomorrow and I will pray with other Jews. And maybe, maybe somebody will invite me for a meal. And I will go to that meal. And when I come back, I need to sit in the lobby and I need to be with people because I cannot be alone. And indeed, I ate with the rabbi that day. I didn't even know what Parsha it was. I kept looking. Is it Lech Lecha? I was literally in looking in my article when I sheepishly turned to a woman and I said to her, what parsha are we? And she looked at me, she said, my parashas, parashas. I had been running and running and running and trying to come back to beloved Eretz Israel. Are we were still merely in Bereshit? And in this little shul, the size of my living room, we prayed. And right after the Torah reading, the rabbi, who I had coincidentally met on my way to the airport that initial morning, he did not know my name that morning. He saw me leaving, running, racing to the airport in my rental car and my two mega suitcases. And he said to me, are you going back to Eretz Israel? I said, yes, yes, please pray for my soldier son, Ariel Ben Elka Devorah. And he said, Ariel Ben Elka Devorah, but he didn't write it down. And when I walked into that shul that same morning, it was that rabbi, that rabbi who I had seen the week before who looked at me and over the mechitza, the separating wall between the men's section and the women's section, he looked me in the eye and he said, Ariel ben Elka Devora, right? I said, yes. And before we began the moose of service, he stopped and looked out over the extremely sparse kahila, the sparse quorum of individuals that had gathered to pray on this very rainy morning. And he said, I must tell you all that we have an honored guest here today. We have the mother of a chayal in our shul this morning. We have the mother of a soldier. So much for the me portion, I came home. And now we come to the you portion. The you and me. What was it like to travel through Europe wearing a religious head covering, eating only kosher to the best, to the best of my God-given ability, I couldn't read my novel. How could I read my novel that could have entertained me for hours? 
when my people were bleeding, my people were crying, my people were screaming, and my people were burying one another. Like staring at a cosmic car wreck. I could not get off Facebook and ignore the calls for assistance in acquiring breast milk and those who were able to dig graves. The same sentence. And friends, beloved friends living in Galut, living in the diaspora, not knowing what to say, not knowing what to ask, said again and again, in messages and WhatsApp on walls, said, how are you? We are praying for you and your family. Are you safe? Is your family safe? And it was then, it was then that I was able to, in a small way, explain to these friends via WhatsApp, Facebook, email, on and on. There is no you. There is no you and your family. If there is a family sitting Shiva, we are sitting Shiva. If there is a family with a boy, a girl, a loved one in a hospital bed, we have someone sick, maimed, frightened in a hospital bed. I ask the question on my Facebook wall as in announcing this show, Do you know who you are? Because they do. There are so many of us who, especially at times like this, become acutely, painfully, uncomfortably aware of our, our identities as Jews in the world. An identity that's Convenient when a new deli opens up in town. Or we feel that spiritual pull and we do go to synagogue on Yom Kippur because our fathers and mothers went on Yom Kippur and our grandparents and it's the least we can do as a Jew is to show up on Yom Kippur. Maybe attend to Pesach Seder. I promise you something. No matter how parv One's Judaism is parv, parv, that's neither meat nor milk. You can't run and you can't hide because they know who you are. So we have some options. As I learned, lying on airport floors in Rome, in France, in Istanbul, almost Morocco. Are we squeezing a little Judaism into our hopefully rich and meaningful secular lives? Or is this the day where we question whether we're supposed to squeeze a little healthy, interesting secularism into our spiritual and richly textured Jewish lives? Someone posted on Facebook to my fellow Jews in the diaspora, all of whom I love. The only thing worse than the grief, pain, and heartache you are feeling would not be feeling them at all. And I thought to myself, I love that statement. That's the Pintalyid. That little burning nair, that little itty-bitty flame 
that has you gasp as you read of the atrocities. And I think of all of those who are listening to this show live and listening to it on podcasts, and not just this show, all of the holy hosts under the magnificent management of this station that does not earn but shares the truth through the blood, the sweat, and the committed Ahavat Yisrael, love of Israel and love for fellow Jews. If you felt nothing, dear listener, you wouldn't be listening to this show. You wouldn't be listening to this station. And if you don't cry, if you don't gasp, if you don't question where do you belong in this story, who will? There's a British barrister. I like that word, barrister. Hmm. Law school grad in, in, in the common parlance. Uh, those of you who are listening in from England, you must know him. I just discovered him. His name is Rob Reinder, TV personality commentator. He shared a story that in England, modern, refined England, that Jewish kids... In their schools, I don't know if these are boarding schools, prep schools, what are the, what's the equivalent in England? I'm sure you'll tell me. They're being punched in the faces by fellow pupils. It's a contest. Punch a Jew. And with each punch, the words free Palestine are being shouted. It's an act of bravery, this contest, for the British Jewish students to leave their homes and go to school they're talking about you if you are Jewish and living in Miami Beach Des Moines, Iowa Dallas, Texas Los Angeles Oregon Canada, Australia Jamaica Sweden, Indonesia, I can go down the list. If you are a Jew, they are talking about you and they are talking about your children. My husband told me a number last night. I can't compute, I can't give it to you accurately because once again I became numb. Numb, that's the operative word. When I called my daughter from Maryland and I said I'm trying to come back I'm trying to get back I'm looking forward I want to be on that plane I want to be on the plane with the returning Chayalim the returning Tzav Shmona those soldiers who are coming back and racing I want to stand on that train on that plane before landing and sing Hatikva with them and my daughter said stop fooling yourself mom you'll be flying on a plane with co-passengers who are numb. Well, that wasn't very convenient. I didn't like that. And she was right. The numbness. And again, I ask, those of you certainly my American friends with whom I grew up. If you're not fighting a truth within yourself, if you're not asking yourself the uncomfortable questions, why is it, my holy American sisters and brothers, that you donated more than a trillion dollars to Israel over the last 12 days? A trillion dollars in cash, a trillion dollars in helmets, a trillion dollars in toys and food, in equipment, in underwear. 
And yet, you tell your neighbors, you tell your friends, you tell your spouses, you tell your children, and you tell yourselves that you're not really those kind of Jews. You're not the religious kind. You're not the Jewy kind. I tell you, yeah, you are because your neighbor knows it. All of your protestations don't matter. Because to everyone else, as your pintily yid, your Jewish flame burns inside, you can't run from who you are. You know, when I was in college, I was an acting student. We had a game. And many of you in Psychology 101 courses played this game. The game was called Trust. Remember the game Trust? You fall back into the arms of someone better. It's someone you don't know. And with your eyes closed, you let your body fall back prone. And you trust that you'll be caught, caught into, if not loving arms, certainly responsible arms. For years, millennia indeed, we Israelis, we indigenous Jews of our indigenous homeland, have played the game of trust. And we're still here. We're still being caught. But let me tell you, our arms are outstretched. We will catch you. We have a history, 6,000 years of arms, ready to embrace you when you are ready to fall, to fall into your legacy. Joined a group because all I had to do was press join. And it was a group for lighting Shabbos candles, a commitment to light those Shabbos candles. My commitment is ironclad. I've been lighting Shabbos candles for 45, 50 years, let's say. Let's say 50 years, yeah. I'm begging you, Jewish women of the world, Friday night, light two Shabbos candles. You can look up the blessing if you don't know it. Or send me an email, Andrea, at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I will send you the blessing. We are the light. I'm watching the time. We're going. Yeah, so there's also, this is a, um, when you light your two candles, I'm enwrapped in wires here. If the show sounds patchy, I apologize, but I don't apologize. What is it that they say? The young kids say, sorry, not sorry. Um, I'm working from notes spewed, written on the backs of receipts from Italy, from Istanbul, a lot of coffee. We're also encouraged. I don't, I'm, Okay, I'm questioning whether or not we have to keep this up. But in the meantime, in the meantime, in the meantime, when you light your two Shabbos candles, light two more. Why two more? Because we are lighting for the women hostages who cannot light, who are unable to light this Shabbos. So let's light up our homes And indeed, Jewish women around the world, this is the Shabbos where we declare first and foremost to our families, yes, not only I am a Jew, 
but light those candles and indicate to your family first, I am that kind of Jew. Cathartic. Looking at my notes, looking at my notes, how many of us last night were wringing our hands, knowing, knowing that we don't bomb hospitals, knowing that even in the midst of those who would destroy us, can I say it more strongly? Can I say it more brutally? No, the word destroy, annihilate it, crush us to ashes. Look in the mirror and look at your Jewish face and know they mean you. When you gather your children in your arms and you hold your Jewish grandbabies, know that they are fodder, fodder for perverted, bestial rage, rage that now is not tethered in any manner, certainly not on the streets of New York, certainly not in the streets of Paris, certainly not in the streets of England. And we ain't talking about the 22 countries that comprise our Arab neighbors. It's out there. Roger Waters has nothing on the filth and slime that's coming out of those who profess to be sophisticated. Look in the mirror, my fellow Jewish men and women, and hold your babies and grandbabies and know they mean you. For a full week, for a full week, like again, the proverbial car wreck, I watched the protests. I watched them ripping down posters of those who are, please God, still held captive in Aza. NYU students, NYU, bastion of civility ripping down the posters, screaming death to Jews, death to Israel. I whisper again, they mean you. And on CNN, they debated, they debated whether Hamas decapitated the Israeli babies and tossed their heads into the seats of their strollers or did they just peacefully burn them to cinders while they were still alive? That you debated, that you questioned, that you didn't discuss with your friends because I don't know, maybe, who am I to spread the room? And in less than seven seconds, the lie that Israel bombed a hospital in Gaza when there was no proof. Let me tell you something. If nothing else, if nothing else, when did you ever see an Israeli combatant film the atrocities he or she was forced to commit? for the sake of keeping me alive, for the sake of preserving our homeland so that when you are ready to come home, ready to face your truth, ready to live your legacy, whether to speak honestly with your children and grandchildren. When did you ever see an Israeli soldier film what the rules of war forced him to engage. You know, suddenly I'm off script. I am remembering, I'm remembering once one of the Palestinian claims as they were screaming charges of racism to Israel was that, of course, 
the Israelis are racist because the Israeli soldiers, the men soldiers, they had no history of raping Arab women. So clearly, we were bigoted. And, and, and this statement made the internet rounds. Instead of holding parades for the most moral army on the face of the earth and that the earth has ever known, Sahal, the Israeli Defense Forces, who even as they were forced to protect their own lives, had respect for the humanity of their enemy, a respect that their co-religionists don't even come close to recognizing. Who are they? Who is this enemy? I'll tell you who this enemy is. My notes, my notes, my all over the place notes. A McDonald's restaurant in Lebanon. I know you listen to this station. You know the stuff. You know the goods. You know what I'm going to tell you. Was destroyed. Because, I don't even know where this was. Oh, McDonald's locations in Israel was giving free meals to soldiers. Free meals to our beloved forces. And so what happened in Lebanon? They burned the McDonald's to the ground. People did not appreciate that public relations move. No, didn't appreciate it very much at all. Thursday. Oh, here's another one. Here's another one. Going through my notes. In Taiba, Taiba, an Arab village, a large, huge Arab village here in Eretz Israel, torched a bicycle shop run by an Arab Israeli. Who is this shopkeeper? Allah Amara. I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Mr. Amara. He received over a half a million new Israeli shekels in donations because arsonists targeted him for his gift. Allah Amara. Sharing his humanity and his gift of sending 50 bicycles to children who evacuated their homes due to the Hamas rage. So what did they do? What did they do? These holy members of the religion of peace, they burned his bicycle shop to the surprise, down to the ground. But you know, he wasn't surprised. Because a few days earlier, he had made a donation of to some of the other families evacuated. And he knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. I interrupt to tell you that not just the aforementioned listening in today, but in our brotherhood, our pull-up-a-chair brotherhood, also China has joined us. Dubai, the United, the United Arab Emirates has joined us. Slovenia, France, Kenya. Welcome. Let's celebrate life together and let's pray together. Let's see, who else do we have in who they are? Yeah, New York City. 1,200% rise in calls for violence against Jews. New York City, the epicenter. My joke used to be that if you're, Jew, if you're a New Yorker, you are Jewish. If you're a Latina New Yorker, if you are a black New Yorker, if you are an Italian, Irish, whatever New Yorker, you are Jewish because New York is Jewish. Well, guess what? They're all over us. So let me tell you who we are. I'll tell you who they are. That's nothing. Burning babies, raping women. Slaughtering grandmothers. You sick, twisted, perverted. You do not get to be called human beings. I will remind you. I will remind my listeners 
to that which we hold holy. We were created. B'Tselem Elohim. We were created in God's image. What does that mean? God talks holy. I talk holy. God sees holy. I see holy. God acts holy. I act holy. We were created with all of the majesty and the beauty and the holiness and the potential to do good that God has imbued in us because we have the breath of God in us. From the moment of our conception. And when we spit in the face of that holiness, we become the antithesis of good. We become exactly who we aren't. There was a story, a medrash indeed, of the two brothers, the two brothers, two farming brothers. They both expressed mutual devotion to one another. They were left a plot of land, a very rich, what's the word, fertile plot of land. Each given, I believe, a half. And one brother said, you know what, I'm going to give my half to the other brother. My, My other brother is single and he has nothing. He has no wife. He has no family to provide. His life is void of all of those mitzvot, those commandments. He doesn't get to celebrate them. Let him at least have this plot of land that he can feed the world, feed the community, and be an active participant. And the single brother looking at his share of the land said, you know, I'm going to give this plot of land to my brother because my brother has so much more to provide for, so many more obligations, so much more pressure with a wife and children and community obligations. And who am I? I'm really, I really don't have that many needs. Let me give to my brother. And the Midrash teaches us that that is the site, that is the place where the holy temple, the Beis HaMikdash, was created I raise this story because Rav Eli Ofran tells a story of just this past week on the periphery of Gaza that the unit, they were able to offer a brief leave for a few of the soldiers who had been training intensely. I know, I know all about that training. My son has been there for now a week training with his pluga, with his unit, with his blood brothers awaiting his next assignment. And Rav Ofran writes, he went to one who he thought could use the break and he said, please go home for a bit, refresh. What does the soldier say to him? He says, my wife and children are doing all well. They're doing okay. They have family with them. Put me at the end of the list. But give the break, give the leave to that guy instead. I think he could use it. So Rav Afran goes to the other guy and says, me? No, 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 I'm single. I'm okay. Put me at the bottom of the list. Give it to that guy over there. He has a family. Just like in the legend, Somewhere between them, the base Hamikdash will be built. My friends, we could go on hour and hour. I'm looking 19 pages of notes. I do not have to go over the atrocities. I ask you one thing, one thing before we talk a little Torah, a little Torah that painfully and perfectly corresponds with where we are in our lives. Do not, do not ask that question, where was God? 
Do not ask that question. Because of the way I outlined the raison d'etre, the reason, the purpose of our births, the reasons for our existence, ask the right question. Not where was God? Where is man? Rav Ephraim Goldberg talks about talks about the statement. We're hearing it all over. Am Yisrael Chai. The people of Israel live. The last time I heard it this week was when I got to security finally at El Al in Newark Airport. I could taste my return home. I could see it. I sat. I sat in shock that I had made it all the way to the security counter at El Al Airline. And they asked me the regular questions. Who packed your bags? Where have you been? Where do you live? And I cried. I cried. I couldn't believe I was answering those questions. And I was answering them in Hebrew. In Lashon Kodesh, the holy tongue. And the security woman her name was Yael. And I said to her, I have a daughter who's named Yael. And she took my hands and she looked me deep into my eyes and she said to me, Am Yisrael Chai. It was said for those who came out of the camps, we always knew how to die together. The time has come for us to know also how to live together. There's no protests, no Saturday night protests. There's no Sfardim, Ashkenazim, Chilonim, Datim, Shachor, Levan. The secret, the secret to a strong Am Yisrael The people of Israel is in our unity, our loyalty, to giving one another the benefit of the doubt, judging each other favorably. I saw a video last night. Someone, it was a, a young, oh, he was adorable. He was a, he was an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, a young guy, young guy wearing his army greens. And someone had come up to him, I think it was the day before, and of course this is all, I don't have it in front of me and I didn't transcribe it, but a guy with piercings and tattoos came to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, I have prepared 300 meals for some soldiers at this base. I would like to bring it. Can I please bring these meals to the soldiers? And the rabbi didn't want to offend him, and he said to him, that's so lovely of you, great, but listen, we, we have a concern about kashrut, the laws of keeping kosher, and I, I have to check and see if it's okay for us to distribute to the soldiers. And the man, this righteous Jew, said to the rabbi, Rabbi, I have spoken to two rabbis in my entire life. I don't think I've ever been in a synagogue. I have never celebrated a moment of the Sabbath. There's nothing about me that one could claim is a religious Jew. He said, but I spoke to two rabbis in my life. The first one was the one I approached yesterday, and I said, I want to provide meals for 300 soldiers. Will you come to my house, supervise, help me make my kitchen entirely kosher, go over every ingredient, watch me as I cook and prepare these meals? And he did. And gave the name of the wonderful, exceptional, accepted Orthodox rabbi. And then he said, and you are the second one. And so the rabbi who made this video shared that not only did he tell him that he was doing a great mitzvah in 
celebrating achdut and ahavat Yisrael, brotherhood and love of fellow Jews, but that he was indeed a tzaddik, a righteous individual. During this most difficult time, we, the people of Israel, are learning how to live with one another in harmony and in unity. When Abraham, our father Avraham, confided in Hashem that he was concerned, he was concerned for his descendancy, what does Hashem assure him? Not only will your descendants come from your own offspring, childless Avraham, they will also be of good character. They will be like the stars in heaven. By using the term stars, Hashem showed Avraham in concrete terms the ideal reciprocal relationship that should exist between us, between one another, between man. The stars, like the colors of the rainbow, they're also different. We're different from one another, but there does exist. There has to exist a beautiful harmony among the multitude. Like the stars, ideally, there should be love, peace, unity between men in our ongoing effort to serve God. You know, when the Jews left Mitzrayim, when they left Egypt, God sanctified us. He showed Moshe the silver crescent and told him, look out for this reappearance and consecrate the beginning of your months. That's what Rosh Chodesh is all about. The Maharal explains that Israel is likened to the moon, in that the moon renews itself. Remember, we're never done. Opportunity for renewal, for moda'ani, for a new day, for a new palette, for a new beginning, for a new Yom Kippur, a new Rosh Hashanah. Israel was in effect commanded to notice or to realize the fresh birth of the moon and undergo a similar spiritual and moral rejuvenation. Hashem wishes for a cohesive, peaceful, harmonious society. You know, we're provided with three different Torah dimensions regarding man's goals and behavior. Behavior is individuals and members of society. That first perspective, exemplified by the bow, the ark, of the rainbow. It expounds the view that man was created with a uniform societal goal. Thus, the Jewish proclivity to give, to perform tikkun olam, to repair the world, to make it better, to make it legally better, to make it morally better, to make it spiritually better, to make it physically and in health, better, 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 better. In this dimension, it's not individuality that's important, but rather mankind's value as a group. The second dimension is the role of man as an individual, only after our society's conditions are satisfied. Indeed, it's why Rosh Hashanah comes before Yom Kippur. We're a group, we're a people, we're a universe, we're a mass. Once I acknowledge to God, I get it. Now I could put the me, mine needs on the table. Just as each star has a unique shape, it has a consistency, has an energy. Every person, every one of us, created with different bodies, talents, inclinations, we're unique. And lastly, that third dimension the moon, with that perpetual renewal, teaches us that men, both as individuals and members of the group, were obligated to pursue higher spirituality through learning 
self-disciplined, refinement. Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu has proclaimed that Israel should be a momlechet, kohanim, a kingdom of priests. Just as a Kohen has been selected to dedicate himself to the sacred, divine service, so too the entire Jewish nation, you, me, our sons, our daughters, we have all been selected by Hashem. This can only be this can only be accomplished by integrating. Torah insights into our daily existence. My friends, we do not know what the coming Sabbath will bring. I wish all of you and I wish all of Eretz Israel, Am Israel, it should be quiet, peace should reign. And let us light those Sabbath candles for ourselves and the additional two for those who cannot. I wish you all a Shabbat Shalom from Jerusalem. <laughs>